Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is A Lot To Learn with Austin Rogers. For the guy who knows everything, he's still got a lot to learn. Without further ado, here's Austin. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good night. I have no idea what time it is because this is the podcast and you listen to podcasts whenever you might listen to podcasts. Uh, this today is going to be really fun and scrumptious, hopefully, because we are at Barb's Butchery and Beacon. That is a bit full of bees. I don't know. What <laughs> we keep <laughs> playing on it. <laughs> I think it works. And we're here with uh, Barb Fisher, who is a butcher, but not your normal butcher. And we're going to get into that right now. We are in Barb's Butchery, and Barb, thank you for inviting us into your uh, your abattoir, as it were. <laughs> I'm pretty flattered you asked, truthfully. Uh, Glad you're here. Well, you've got a very interesting background. Uh, mathematics professor come butcher. Where does this come from? So I, I've always taught forever. My first um, stint out of, out of college, actually, I have a political science degree was where I started. And I ended up teaching with it computer-based classes and sort of ended up switching gears and going back to school when I was a little older for math and physics and ended up in a teaching position while doing it and fell in love with it. And it just sort of spiraled from there. So I had a lot of fun and that was like the first, second career sort of a thing. The first, second career. Right. So mathematics was your first, second career right. because first you were teaching poli-sci and computer modeling of poli-sci? No, no, sorry. I... Um, I taught people how to use Microsoft Word, like I had the oh. political science degree. <laughs> it was 1993, and people didn't know how to use a mouse. Oh, so wow. I taught like grown-ups how to like as an adult trainer how to use a mouse, how to use Microsoft 3.0, and then Windows 95 and or 3.1 rather, and Windows 95 and like the gamut. It was. And then you got the math. And degree. then I got into the math thing. Yeah. And then eventually. You, I you did this, right? You did this. <laughs> uh, so 10 years from now, we'll come back right, and we'll sorry, see what's next. I know, I know, so, but right. now, now we're here. So, um, so mathematics, you just, just instructing and whatever. It just, it, it was too I, much. It, it was, honestly, I was ready for something different. I kind of burnt out teaching people how to do algebra and I wasn't having as much fun with it as I had in the past. So um, I had my second daughter and since my life was chaotic and we were pretty crazy, my husband and I were talking about how we wanted to go forward with raising the kids and how we wanted to invest or participate financially with um, me changing jobs, possibly continuing to teach. It was sort of, uh, what do you want to do and what do we feel like? So we landed on, we wanted to do something in brick and mortar on a local community level. I wanted to run a business and I was really interested in getting properly sourced meat. And so it sort of all landed together with, hey, maybe I should consider looking into becoming a butcher. And then it just became really, it was almost serendipitous. I was a member of the CSA at Overcreek and the farmer there introduced me to Mark Alia, who is uh, another butcher in Highland, New York, who taught me how to cut. He's also a culinary instructor, which 
worked out really well. I had some connections that he knew what he was doing in terms of teaching, but I did it more as a one-on-one -on -one mentorship. So I got to do it as an adult on better timing with how things worked, having small kids and such. And so it took, from when I met Mark, within the first month I knew I really liked this. And he repeatedly told me that I was pretty talented at it. So we just went for it. We were in Beacon and bought a building and built the shop while I was learning how to cut and make sausage. And you're, Mark you're still going with, with the bees. <laughs> bought a building, bees, bees, bees. Right? And it was, I mean, it was uh, 18 months from when I decided that I was going to start the store to when we actually opened the doors. So That's it was ridiculous. remarkable turnaround. I mean, like what's Malcolm Gladwell's 40,000, 10,000 hours or whatever to become an expert. You like, you leapfrogged it. You're like, I'm going to learn. I'm going to do it. And then also it's going to be a business because usually the business part comes second right? and you went straight to the. I Maybe I didn't know what I was getting myself into. <laughs> Well, I also didn't ask anybody's permission before I started, so I didn't really have a lot of like, hey, you should consider not doing this coming my way. It was just a whole lot of let's just see what happens. Okay. So, There's a couple things in there. One of them that we'll go back to is I uh, didn't know what you got yourself into. So let's go into, <laughs> well, we might spin off into the tangent of, you know, the Beacon is a, it's a, it's a transitionary town right now. It is, it has peaked. We'll get into that in a little bit, but you might have some really great small business advice for the listeners. But first, there's another thing. Your mentor said, you have a talent for this. How does one know that one has a talent for, and I want like granular, like when someone says, I mean, I play instruments. Right. And you know. That I, I have no talent for. Well, <laughs> and by the way, I am delightfully <laughs> mediocre. I am adequate in every instrument I play. And the second you see someone that's good, you go, that one's really good. And then the second you see someone who is immense, both the person who's better than you and yourself go, oh, yeah, I can't even come close. What's the analog to butchery that you're like, yeah, that's really good? Is it finesse? Is it selection of I, – I, I don't even know where to start. I think with, um, with the conversations that Mark and I had, a lot of it was that I picked up – a knife for the first time in his store that I, I didn't know what a boning knife was until I walked into his, our first meeting. Um, and within a couple of weeks, I was able to effectively tie roasts fairly well. And I guess that's pretty hard for people to pick up in his experience from teaching. Mm -hmm. um, I had some pretty solid skills and just natural muscle memory with my hands and rhythmic with, in terms of cutting. I was able to pick up, there's a basic cut called a pullover cut that's essentially how you take out all of the gristle and stuff you don't want in the meat. Um, you want to try to do that as tight to the silver skin as you possibly can or the connective tissue so you keep as much meat for your sales as possible. Because this is a business. Right, right, right. Yep, yep. And I was able to get that cut in a way that um, I was pretty efficient at it really fast. And so between those two things, he was like, if you like this, you really... And then I was laughing and I would always joke about it as a big meat puzzle. Like I just, it to me, <laughs> it was like a lot of like, it was in, like a, almost, um, um, it was, it, it was very inter interesting to me to, to see the chunks and break them down into something that was recognizable by me as a layman at the time. Well, like, like, that, like was, that famous picture you see of the profile of the cow and that's the that and that's right. the that and that's the that and this is the there, right? Right. And so you're, you're 3D 
You're 3D visualizing it. it, Yeah, it was. There's your mathematics. There was definitely a bunch, yeah. Right. And it turns out the math I use the most is the most basic stuff in terms of like just yields and percentages and estimation. Having a number sense has been the most crucial part of all of the math training that I've had for dealing with transitioning into this. Having a decent idea of, oh, wow, this is really not the way that it's supposed to be running right now without having detailed books finished. Because when you're doing this, you're wearing so many different hats all at the same time, especially in the first year or so of a small business. So I was keeping track of all the bookkeeping while I was running the store. Right. And so <laughs> there were some days that I was like, okay, I have to be close and guess, and I, I'm really comfortable with being able to round well and have a pretty good idea of what's happening. And also be like this with X amount of weight of this cut of meat, if I get it down to the X percentage, then I know I'm going to, yeah. and you can extrapolate from that. Right. As, as, as you're, as, okay, how's meat come to a butcher? Where, how does it, how would, where's it come from and how do you get it? And like, does it just, do you just get half a cow and you start from there? I yeah. don't, I don't, a- I don't. Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, okay, that's okay. exactly you, what I you do. You see the, you see the classic, you know, butcher shop with the half a hog right. or the half a, half a shank, like hanging up there. Oh, where does it come from? So we buy, well, I buy everything for the store in terms of um, beef, pork, and lamb from Myler's Farm in Pine Plains, New York. And I buy full animals from him. So I'll buy a full steer and he splits those in half and then puts them into quarters for me so that I can manage the size of them. I don't have a pulley system or any kind of hook system in the store. So everything we're moving, we're picking up and moving. Um, he, so I buy a hog a week from him, a side of beef, and then a lamb every two weeks. And so it comes to me in big, huge chunks, and we bring it and basically start from Split the side up. and break it down. Yeah. And 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 each meat has a different purpose and a different name, and each one like X goes into sausage, Y goes into this, Z is what you want for your hamburger meat. Right. And a lot of it is the excess off of its with steer in particular. It's for me all about what can I make out of what can I make steak out of first, and then anything that doesn't become a steak becomes hamburger or trim. Um, that we make hot dogs out of that. We make all kinds of other processed stuff. We make, we, we use big muscles in terms of, um, some of the hot food that we do. We take full briskets and smoke them so I can pull a full brisket off of the steer. And instead of needing that for grind, for instance, we just treat it and throw it in smoker. Right. Um, sometimes we do different, it depends on the time of year. Like sometimes it's stew meat, sometimes it's asabuco, sometimes it's, cleaning up all of the details that I'd much rather was stew season or asabuco season. It's a little faster for us, but... Oh, because everyone's the hearty stuff in the winter, but now you got to figure out what to do with that hearty stuff in the summer when people want the lean stuff to grill and stuff. Right, right, right. So, like, in the wintertime, we cut full short ribs. In the summertime, we flanken-style or Korean short rib style them so they're a quarter of an inch thick so you can grill them so that they're tender that way and they cook quickly and it's edible and awesome, in fact, so... A lot of it has been um, kind of driven by what people have asked for. As people have figured out, we can basically cut anything that they want. They've asked for different types of cuts. There's a a real popular sirloin roast that um, is a Brazilian dish that we cut regularly now for people that call that know that we can do it. So it's just sort of evolved as the store has progressed and as the customer base has gotten more 
um, willing to be experimental with things, they ask for different stuff now. I mean, and it's fun. You're you're working in this old world paradigm that doesn't really exist anymore, which right. is pretty amazing. You know, uh, Mrs. Robinson comes in every Thursday, and you know, Gino the butcher is like, Mrs. Robinson, here's your wrapped in paper with the tied in a bow, and like here it is. And she walks in, she goes, add it to my account, and walks out wearing her hat and her dress in 1952. Now it's Visa and Square, same story. Yeah, yeah. but but still, yeah, wow. Yeah. Oh, and people really have taken to it and it's been fun for us lately it's been really interesting for me like I've done this I've, I've had enough experience cutting different things that are cutting full sides that um, I'm starting to experiment more with taking muscles apart and really checking textures to see what we can do with them mm -hmm. so we've taken to cutting things that aren't necessarily traditionally steak but they cook like steak there's fancy names we keep finding for them I look up things and what is this called in general terms and usually I find one but it takes me a minute because it's not as common but I have a couple of steaks I cut out of the the chuck or the top of the neck that are lovely and taste wonderful but I can keep the price down because it's not a traditional steak it's very lean it tastes like beef it's fantastic but it's different than a ribeye entirely so some of it is educating people on what it is and how to cook it and then having them take the chance on it. And then once they do, they want it again and again, which is great for us. Or conversely, they'll be like, I didn't like that one. Right. Show me what you got next. Right. Uh, and, and this sort of espouses, this is sort of your espousing of the nose to tail philosophy. Right. Um, for those of you who don't know, Barb, explain the nose to tail philosophy. So we're just trying to use everything we have. Like I buy the full side and we try to use as much of it as possible without throwing it in the garbage. So we render the fat and we sell tallow and we have it in the store. You can cook with it. We sometimes cook with it. Um, we, everything that you can possibly use, the bones, we make bone broth and we honestly can't keep up with the bone broth production most of the time because people are so um, enthusiastically interested in buying it now. Um, it doesn't come out of a cube. It's not bullion. It's not. It's beef, bones, and water, and we just cook it for, we simmer it for 72 hours. There's nothing in it. There's no salt, anything. So you can season it however you'd like. It's just that awesome, jiggly, gelatinous stuff that, Right. Um, and we can't keep it in the store. We do the same thing with pork in terms of the lard and the, um, the we make pork stock. We make um, a really nice, thick hock stock that we make ramen kits out of now. So instead of going to the store and buying ramen, and you can't always source decent noodles, we'll give you all of the things that you need to make ramen at home. Just come pick them up and take them home, including the meat and the pork belly and all the stuff. But the the pork stock is made in the store. I mean, this is way so, this is way more than being a butcher. I mean, I mean, I guess that's what nose well, to tail yeah, is. A lot of it's been figuring it it's, out. I mean, it's I've, a it's more philosophical than it is. What do people want and what can we do with it? Yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, and also maximizing your profit. Well, Nothing's left on the cutting room floor. That's it. The garbage can's the most expensive tool. So, <laughs> I love that. I love truth, that. I've yeah. never actually heard that before. I stole it from Mark. I have to give him credit. Well, the, the garbage can's the, the most expensive yeah. tool. If you have to put it in, you've, you've messed up. Right. Yeah. So, um, all right. But this is also the driving force behind the sausage. Like, I have 60-plus recipes for sausages, so people don't get bored. Yours or others I or everything? I write them. Oh, you do? You, yeah. do, you do every sausage? Mark gave me four So when sausages, I saw I'm, West African mint, Yep, it's that's a you. take on merguez. And oh, oh, of course. Yep. Okay, that makes and sense. It's, it's all us, yeah. So I've used, I mean, I, I've used basis, or I've taken the basis from other books, but most of the time if I'm writing a recipe, I use six or seven sources and find the common ingredients and then add to it the things that I like the flavor of, because truthfully, allspice I don't use because I don't like it. 
So it's not in any of our sausage. So that's then that's right. That's you. You know what? I'm sick of playing my number one hit, so I'm not going to play it. If you're still going to come to my concert, there right. we go. Yeah. So that's sort of. I mean, we just make a bunch at some point or a couple times. I've tried to put out, "Hey, vote for your favorite," but <laughs> there's never any consensus. So we just make right every every single one of them is at two point four percent. You're like, well. That's a good thing. If right? everyone likes each one, right. there you so go. So we, we make, I don't know, 15 or 20 of them every week and rotate through. <laughs> uh, all right. I want to circle back a little bit further. Uh, on the, uh, Okay. I don't eat a lot. I, in fact, I'm trying to curtail my meat consumption. And we're, we'll get into that in a little bit because that's an ethical gray area. And I know you came from a vegetarian background. Uh, and I want to sort of discuss the ethics of eating meat in this carbon-rich environment that we're living in. But uh, when I do eat meat, I don't know where everything comes from. So do us a quick nose to tail on where these cuts of meat, these sirloins, these ribeyes come from, sure. starting from the neck down, I guess, right? Sure. So uh, the two neck steaks that we cut, one I think is called a Sierra steak traditionally. Um, I just have called it the neck flank and the neck flat iron because that's what they look like to me. Yep. Um, as you go down through the chuck roll, you can cut some chuck eye steaks. Where's chuck? Is that the chest? That's the chuck is from the front as it goes through. So it's sort of um, think shoulder blade and then under. Shoulder and under. Right. Got so it. So as you're coming through, the shoulder has the flat iron. It has the petite steak or um, they've been calling that one the, um, oh, I lost the name. It's the Latin name for that shoulder muscle. It'll Scapula? come back to me. No, it's the supporting stabilizer one that's right there. It'll come. It's been, anyway, the petite steak is there, the flat iron. On the other side of the bone, there's another steak. This is underneath. Right. That It's like uh, one side of the bone is the flat iron, and then on the other side of the bone above it um, is another steak that some people call the bell iron. We've been calling it the inverse flat iron because I'm a goofy mathematician and it's on the <laughs> other side of the axis. So, you know, I just flipped it. Um, so now we're on the shoulders. Right, and what, then you keep going. What, what about the, the chest? You what hit you, the ribeye. Okay. The ribeye comes next. You, the chest is more like, it's the brisket's the front chest. Okay. Okay, and then as you kind of go back, you're running into short ribs in the middle and then down at the bottom is usually trim. Sometimes you can make beef bacon from it, but that ends up really salty and really fatty. And I'd rather make beef jerky than the beef bacon. So usually we just trim that out. Okay. But that's so that's can, the bottom of the that's animal. That's the bottom of the, of the rib the cage, yeah. Bottom of the rib. Okay, as the rib yep. cage curves right. under. And Got it. And the top where you'd sit on the saddle. The yep. front of the saddle is the ribeye. If you were to ride a cow. Right. It, right. <laughs> and then the back of the, um, the back is the, um, the, sur or the, sorry, the strip steaks. Strip is where the rib cage ends on the back of right. the animal. Right, and the new bone structure starts. Right, which with the, the, the lower spine. Right, Got right, it. right. And so that's the strip steaks, and the tenderloin is on the other side of that. Okay. Or you can cut both of them together, and that's your porterhouse steak. So porterhouse is... Oh, it just order? has the bone in it, but it's got the strip steaks on one so it's side got, and the fillets on the other. So porterhouse has two different muscular, right. muscular, muscular textures. Right, and it's awesome. Oh. It's a really good idea. <laughs> and then what about the hindquarters? So then you roll from the loin into the sirloin. That comes next, and that's kind of the tip of the hip. Tip of the hip. Got okay. it. By the way, I'm like patting myself <laughs> down. It's amazing, I'm like, right? I'm like mentally butchering myself. Well, because we're I all, did, That's well, the meat puzzle. Well, that's we're, it. Well, we're, we're all mammals. We our, are. Our, our bone and muscular structure is literally identical, just extrapolated through different formologies or morph morphologies. You know, we've all got the same, you know, phalanges to tar carpals to a bunch of little bones to two bones to one bone, right? Sure. Like, no, actually, you saying that, I'm, I really want to take a cadaver class because after doing this for this long, 
I would we, die to see well, it. Like, we, we, I want to go. No, you'd, you'd open it up and you'd be like, yep, same thing. I want to you know? see it so much. Well, <laughs> oh my God, you know what I want to see? I want to see the... Uh, the um the, the body exhibit the, no the decomposition oh. forests yes where they uh I, I i morbidly every I'm time with, i see no, an article it's, on it's that body, it's cool it's, it's nature i mean it's, it, it is and, and it's the sciencey stuff well, i can't i just stop getting grossed well, out and started getting fascinated like, I, I, it's I, way more fun <laughs> I, I just i just love when people are like well evolution i'm like no literally look at it right literally look cows horses birds Turtles, we all have the same lots of bones, little bones, two bones, one bone. Lots yep. of bones, little bone, two bones, one bone on all four limbs. Right. It's all the same, you idiots. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna, no, it's all I'm going to alienate I... my one creationist listener. Dave, I... you're off. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> Where, That's awesome. Where were we? Oh, oh, top of the hips. Top, top of the hips. Hip. Top of the hips. So then you go into the leg, and the leg has got... Um, five really major muscles that we use. The top round comes from there around the. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals. You can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role in a given month. Over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Corner is the knuckle, which is sort of right above the kneecap. Uh-huh. There are some lovely stakes tucked inside of that. That one's really cool. You should come while I'm cutting that because I think you might really appreciate the helix structure that comes out of the way that that muscle ties together. You, you, do you spiral it's it so out? Cool, yeah. Yeah, 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 you do. It's really cool. And it's just so that you get that tension and flexion on the muscle structures and you get more support for the bigger animals. It's really cool. Right. So, oh, a large animal right. will have that structure. A smaller animal won't. And it's you won't the same, know. but it's thinner. Yeah. Okay. Right, Got right. It. Um, so then in that same cluster, there's the eye round, which is what we make roast beef out of. And then there's the bottom round, which we make jerky out of. And then there's the heel, which in the middle of the heel, there's another stake that's tucked in there that's called a Merlot stake. That again is it looks the little like medallion the, looking thing. Yeah, I've had those before. Of, it's the color of red wine. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a little medallion. So yeah. Uh, ours end up being flat, but you can cut them uh, when you cook them. Yes. Yeah. So we, um, but yeah, we. So I pull out as many of those different varieties of things that I can cut into a steak as possible. Off the sirloin, there's the sirloin tips or the bavet steaks that are there. Oh, the name of that stabilizer muscle. Um, no, I just lost it. <laughs> it was right there, and then it went away again. You guys have Google. You can look. We'll it look up. it right, yeah. right. But it's um, it's all of the little stabilizer ones are getting really popular with chefs because they're looking for different things and different ways of 
dealing with menu costs and the price of... And then when you're looking at it, you see the care put into it because if you are the meat kind of connoisseur, you'd be like, oh, they've perfectly isolated that one little cut. Oh, you I know? hope so. That's what we strive for. Well, oh, it's, well if by the intense detail that you just went into, I'm pretty sure that everyone's going to notice that. Uh, it, it, wow. It's a giant puzzle. Meat puzzle. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is... Which is Fascinating and amazing, and also something really. There's something natural about this. We've been doing this for millennia. Right. Anyone who says humans didn't, no, no, we literally evolved for by eating complex proteins from meat. Shut up. It's the truth. You're an idiot again. <laughs> uh, we we are people who made meat. Uh, Thank you. The terrace major is the muscle. Because terrace major. Lauren just saved me. <laughs> one of God, it's out of my head. It's been there for like ten the minutes. The terrace major. Uh, one of Barb's employees flew by, dropped, dropped a us note. a piece of paper, <laughs> and flew off again with a smug look. <laughs> and she's laughing now. Uh, and in fact, it's because of those employees and all of that nonsense that I'm still standing. Truthfully, I got to give them all the credit where the credit is due. Like this is so big and it's so perishable that there is not a lot of time to make mistakes or get backed up. There's not a lot of time to not get the job done. Like and deadlines not a lot of time are... to leave, leave it right. to your, you can't do everything. No. So you've got to have a team below you that you're like, I trust that if I walk away for five minutes for something else, that's going to get done and we're not going to leave anything in the garbage right. can. And, and truthfully, the, the skill set is different than anything. I'm not a restaurant. So is it's challenging for people who are trained in a restaurant environment to come here and work because it's a very different sort of situation. But I need the skills that those people have. And believe me, cooking professionally is a skill that we do not give enough credit for. Flat out, like I don't have any interest in picking up that part of this industry. If it wasn't for Lauren, I probably wouldn't have the hot food menu that we have because I have no interest in, after watching them do it and what goes into it, we do not give these people enough credit for the things that they're capable of doing. Oh, you uh, mean our, our, our cooks, cooks and our line and cooks our, and our the, prep. All the way and through. Our, every, the, everybody in the kitchen, yeah. all the way, the way that they make this work and eat, uh, the prep cooks. To have a skill to be able to cut that many onions with speed is something that is the difference between me paying five dollars or twenty dollars to get the same job done. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, I've been, I've been in, I come from an events background and right. I've been in cater kitchens and cater kitchens are. 300 people, one meal, yep. repetition, repetition. And that army that just it's down the nuts. assembly line. Hey, it's sort of the opposite. They're assembling. You like disassembling. Right, right. You can put it back together. <laughs> you, you do something it, you with do, this. Yeah, yeah, I'll yeah, give yeah. it to you. you. You take care of it. You guys get here. the shallots on that one and the broth in that one. You fry it in that one and you bake it in that one. You put it all together on the plate and you put a little glaze around it and sprinkle it with some parsley. You're like, no, give me the big machine and I'm going to chop it up. <laughs> right. Just no, it's just, it's something. I like watching and I'm thrilled that I've got the folks that can do it. And like, maybe auto restoration should you be or not. Next one, right? <laughs> right? Because or, or taking apart, taking apart <laughs> engines, putting them back <laughs> right. together. I mean, again, an engine's an engine, and an engine. A mammal's a mammal's a mammal. Maybe engine, that's right. Yeah. It's some kind of trade next. Yeah, see what, what happens. Go. That'll be fun. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, we, uh, you've deconstructed the entire. We we work with cow on this, right? But but we can we can extrapolate that to exact lamb and and yeah. pork and everything. Uh, and so that's sort of the thing: lamb and pork. Sheep and pig, we, we that's that's the whole word origin thing, you know. Uh, but we evolved from eating meat, that's what advanced humankind as a species. Um, and now we're in this 
right. deep, dark carbon nightmare. Right. And I interviewed uh, Christopher, Professor Christopher Schlotman at NYU, uh, chair of the environmental studies department or vice chair or co-chair, whatever. I don't know. And he's like, the quickest and fastest way to reduce your carbon footprint is to stop eating meat. So... I know you've got your head screwed on tight. You, uh, what, where do we go? What do you think? So I picked this particular path. Um, I'm a big fan of the small farm component of this. I like that. I know my farmer. He, I, I like that. I know that it's a family run farm. That's three generations in that they're doing everything. The best practices in terms of, how they're raising their grass-fed beef and how they're dealing with things. They own the slaughterhouse so that the animals that I deal with don't ever leave the property where they're raised. So to me, it's Temple Grandin is right on the money in terms of how to deal with humane practices in terms of this. And I feel like I have the best of both of the worlds in terms of the small farm and the most humane circumstances possible because I know that there's no stress on these animals. Right. Um, I'm a big fan of the, the small farm part. I don't eat... I eat more meat now than I ever have because, well, I'm a butcher. Yeah, got <laughs> I kind of have got to. Got it. But, I thought um, you're not supposed to get high on your own uh, supply. You, you, you don't, but I got to make sure that its quality is there all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so so do most Coke dealers. Right? I know. It's so bad. You know what's really funny is I don't really eat pork. I still, And I don't eat the sausage that I make because I don't like it. So if I'll actually eat a bite of the sausage and not spit it out, I'll sell it. That's sort of the <laughs> But well, that's that's I mean, that's interesting that you, right. you, you, I, you understand the product. Hey, it's not my cup of tea, but you still right. understand and the people product. love it yeah. and want it. And so but I'm really aiming for like, I mean, the price point that we have for the meat that's here is about the best sort of meld of the economics involved in locally sourced meat in the Hudson Valley, given the market that we're in and the cost of doing business in a brick and mortar. I found a pretty good, happy place that I'm comfortable with. And it seems to people have said the same. They're very happy. It's not too overpriced. It's not underpriced. It's the best that we can do. But the meat is definitely more expensive than any kind of big box store that you're going to go to or any grocer for that matter. Um, I, My whole business is based on the meat. And a lot of places use meat as the loss leader where they'll lose a little money on it to sell the condiments that go with it to make up for that difference. And so since this is my only source of, you know, in and out, there isn't anything that is a loss leader here for me short of uh, there's nothing, truthfully. We do everything we can to try to not have any kind of right. waste. And right, I right, right, right. The only, the closest thing that I have to a sale is we put things on sale in the freezer at the end of the month to kind of clear it out because my freezer's pretty small. So it just kind of anything that's left, we freeze and then we sell it at a discount at the end of the month. But there's no, um, to me, the... The economics involved in the local meat is sort of dictatorial of what you're talking about. Yes, yeah, I, I was it just going to, yes. It needs to be more expensive. We need to be careful and eat a little bit more responsibly, and maybe one portion of meat instead of four is enough protein. For me, I started eating meat again because I was so protein deficient. It wasn't working, and I was sick all the time, anemic, and it was just a thing. Yeah. And it got to the point where I just didn't have a choice. And I 
tried to do that then responsibly. Tell my sister-in-law that. <laughs> I, right? I didn't, for me, it oh, was. Shit, she might listen to this. <laughs> for me, it was just like, it was, I didn't have a choice to well, it was feel a better. Decision. And it yeah. was the thing. And there's other people that are in that same boat. And they've told me that. But I've also had a lot of people tell me they feel a lot better after eating this meat because there's no saline in it. There's nothing in it. It's from the farm to my refrigerator, to my grinder, to the case. It's never frozen. It, it's, I think that that's the part of it that it's small, responsibly, good quality, you make it count, make, make it, it count worth and it. make it special. Right. Meat, meat is, meat is, and again, not to harp on this society of uh, humanity thing, but uh, meat was the special occasion. The hunter came back right. with the good kill and everyone to have a festival. And there's still, there's still cultures to this day where the cow is the thing that you eat on the one big festival and the rest of the year, uh, there, I think, I think you nailed it. Okay. We're clearly not going to eliminate our meat consumption because one, it's too good. Two, we're selfish. Three, it's tasty. Four, some people physically need it. So I think, but we don't need as much as we need. Right. Uh, So I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head that if we perhaps locally do this and make meat more expensive, but more linear in its production rather than this massive industrial uh, scale. Like I could tell you, my store won't scale. To try to make this store bigger than it is, I would be better off doing it in two separate places and keeping it small in two spots instead of one big spot. Which I've read you're looking into. I, I am. Yeah. I am. I'm considering. But, but that would still be, that I, would be think, its own separate node. Right. You couldn't overlap. This this store's ecosystem could not overlap with the other location's ecosystem to ensure the quality. Uh, n- just a little bit. Um, it'd be nice if... People didn't have to drive quite so far, but I think that it would take some of the strain off of this place and keep it manageable Uh at the rate that it's moving now, and then it would make it easier for other people to access it and make it not so much of a drive. Right. Um, But I'm not sure about the overlap. I'd have to look. Because you're saying this, and I was thinking about it. um, I think that on average, and this is a rough guess, I think we accommodate about 250 people a week, and that's what burns through the side of beef in a pig and the side, and then some chicken that we go through. One animal, two hundred and fifty people. Two hundred fifty. Wow, that's. So I think that that's. That's a lot bigger of a metric than I I was thinking. Right, because uh, because well, because you're also super efficient. Right, so we use everything. People have changed up how they're doing things. They buy different types of meat. It's not always the same thing anymore. So it's been really interesting to watch. It's fabulous because things leave in ways that are lovely and predictable, and it makes it very easy for me to figure out how to grow products or how to make different things become available. Like we finally have the staff and the time to start making head cheese and some more terrine stuff. We're going to make a country pork terrine and some different things. What's a terrine? Um, like pate. Head, che- head cheese brain, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, it's it, the head cheese is the whole head. The whole head. The whole head, all the cheek meat, which we make jowl bacon sometimes, and now we're going to do this. But it's the whole head involved with the, the meat that comes out and then the, the texture of the, the – you reduce the, the cooking liquid to the point of it's jello. Oh, okay, and okay. And then you put in a bread loaf and go from there. Got um, it. And then she's going to make some more chicken liver pate and things that are more of the – just using more of the other bits that we haven't quite gotten to yet. So that's 
that's next. Like the pig head, we've been pretty efficient, but I'd like to be more efficient. So doing the, the head cheese is a wonderful way. And I think there's, there's a lot of folks that have asked for it. So I'm really hoping that it helps us get rid of that as a component of waste as we keep going. Um, I didn't mean to get sidetracked on that, though. No, I, no, no. None of, none of this is sidetracking <laughs> because you're, you're hitting on all the points. You know, uh, local sourcing, you're a small business, you're uh, a female-owned small business, you've employed multiple people, you've kept it local, uh, it's sustainable, right. but also, you know, you're, you're still a businesswoman, so you're still looking out at the bottom line. Like, there are so many... Uh, nuggets of gold in here, or or what do we what do we call the one on the heel again? Uh, the Merlot steak. There are so many Merlot steaks of blood. You're amazing, you're amazing. It in here. The other thing, though, the one last bit that you'd mentioned about the the being more responsible with everybody talking about, oh, let's go back to the '50s and bring back blah blah blah. We need to remember that when the structures economically were different, people spent a third of their income on food. And now we're not doing that because of the some of the the way that people have evolved in terms of their shopping. That's sort of what this does. That's different. That has been the biggest shock for folks. Is it's it's not that it's ridiculously overpriced. It's just that you've been used to paying so little for your food from industrially right, that, consumed. You know, like you go to the farmers market, you pay a little bit more for the vegetables, but you know, you ask my children which strawberries they want, and they want the bucket that we paid more for from the farmers market than they want from the grocery store almost every time because they know that those that are from the market are going to taste the way they expect them to. It, it's to me that it, we need to get back into the quality component of things and then you pay for what you get or you get what you pay for. No, no, like you pay for what you get and you get what you pay right. for. Well, yeah, we, we can't we can't deny the industrial food revolution and like, you know, artificial nitrogenization of the land to increase yields because right. that is what sustains our population and had the population boom from, I think the stability of the human population should be something on the order of 1 billion uh, at, and at, 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 at max. And then the second 1917 came around and we started figuring out how to synthesize nitrogen, boom, the population exploded. So now that we're at this population, we have to sustain it, but we also have to mitigate our carbon output. So with the foundation of the industrial agriculture right superstructure having this kind of meat consumption no longer looks as bad as the massive industrial meat consumption i i hope so that's how i see it yeah but i was also i read susan powder in 1991 <laughs> i've been grossed out susan powder the milk thing that happened remember uh, i don't think i read there that. was a lot of gross stuff about milk in like 91 and there was a lot of gross stuff about it's just i was very influenced by just to me the lack of regard for what we were eating that that's really what drove me to stop eating meat in any i didn't i wasn't all the way vegan i ate eggs and i ate cheese but milk was very gross for me i, I so it's hard for me to want to judge one side or the other and it's hard for me to right. say you know, this is the wrong way. I, I, so many times we say that if this is wrong, this is wrong, but we don't offer good solutions in the, in the, or good alternatives for people in the immediate. So I'm not, I struggle with this issue and it's not because of the store. Like it's, it's across the board. Like I'm just not sure what the right, well, I think I think I, I don't got, know. Do you know what I'm getting? No, I think I think I think I got you on this because uh, there was a recent study. It was like 
Americans should curtail their burger consumption to less than two burgers a week. And I go, who's eating more than two burgers a week? Apparently, the answer is a lot of people eat more than two burgers a week. And I don't know, maybe it's if my my, you know, liberal New York sensibilities or whatever. But like I have a maybe a burger a month maybe a steak every three months, actually maybe every six months. Like it's an event for me. It's a thing, you know? Uh, and, and I think that your care and artisanalry, artisanry, art, art, I got you. Artisanal. Artistry. Let's say artistry. artistry. <laughs> your artistry behooves that level of specialness. And, and, and then if we, if we, if we leap down that rabbit hole, uh, then maybe we're not as in dire situations as we think we are because then you're like, this is a special occasion. This is something real. And this is something that your local barb of the world created for your consumption. So let's make an event of it. I, there's, but I hope so. But that's really romantic. It is. It's a, it's a, but it's a really good goal. It's a really good goal. I mean, it, it is. And it's, we've definitely, are going to have to do something. And it's a goal that we... In and a, none in, of us are going to be comfortable with it. So yeah. it's going to be... It's a, a goal that we in a wealthy nation are able to do, you know? Uh, but that we that's the leadership role that you got to take as the wealthy nation. Be like, come on, guys, let's rein it in a little bit. Uh, wow, we just went down a... All <laughs> over the place. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, my God. Barb, <laughs> this has been... Absolutely spectacular. Uh, can you share for everyone your Instagram and everything so they could come by here if they're in the Hudson Valley? So the Instagram is Barb's Butchery. Uh, the Facebook page is the same. Um, fortunately, there are not a lot of Barb's Butcheries out there, so it was really easy to get my name on Instagram. That's <laughs> oh, that one shot, right? one kill? It. You got it? No, Barb's Butchery. Happy. Oh, Barb's there Butchery. I am. <laughs> I know, right? Barb's Butchery at Instagram. That's, yep. uh, that's pretty good. Definitely off of Main Street and Beacon, not on Main Street. So um, we are on the east end of town, as far east as you can go, with one exception. Yeah, past past Dogwood, make a left. <laughs> right, just stay on. Just keep going. You're going to go through the neighborhood. You're going to be like, really? Yeah, uh, just keep going. Uh, it's at the top of the hill. <laughs> yeah, it's at the top of the hill. Yeah, and then you make a really quick U-turn, like I did, because I'm like, right. oh, there it is. Oh, I gotta turn around. And I was told, uh, why are you driving so spastic? I'm like, well, because it's right there. Uh, <laughs> Barb, this has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, so fascinating, mathematician. Come butcher come instagram got her first one on her first try i was yeah i did i got lucky i don't even have a personal instagram <laughs> good i got, I got to facebook and i can't i'm old man <laughs> i was i remember in 1983 making fun of my grandmother for not being able to program the clock on the vcr yeah. i am so you're, you're that, that person that. Yep. <laughs> yep. you hold you hold your phone at a certain angle and you press it one at a time uh, uh. Like, why is it doing something different than it did before <laughs> it's terrible it's terrible Ladies and gentlemen, this has been absolutely fantastic. If you are in the neck of the woods of the Hudson Valley, please drive to Spring Street in Beacon, New York, and check out Barb's Butchery and uh, have a sandwich and take home some sausages. Everyone have a great night. Thank you, Barb. Thanks. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.